I'm Kendall Giles, and this is the Techno Slipstream Podcast, where we help you navigate complex technologies and their impacts on society through analysis and critique. This is episode 26. So I just want to give a motivating example based on recent events that stresses why the book we're going to cover in today's podcast episode is so important. As I write up these podcast notes, it is May 9th, 2022, and the latest edition of The Economist features lengthy discussions on something known as the quantified self. The basic idea is that technologies such as Wearable computers, sensors, and apps are letting us not only track the number of steps we take per day, but also monitor our health, diagnose diseases, and a variety of other data-centric applications. For those of us who are on maybe the geekier side of things, this quantified self idea is not new, but the fact that this has made its way into a mainstream publication like The Economist is new. So maybe we can now say that the time of the quantified self has arrived. There are a lot of people in Silicon Valley who think this infusion of technology into our personal lives can only be a good thing. But consider just for a moment what can go wrong with technologies that harvest our personal private information related to our health, our location, and who we associate with. In a draft leak, the U.S. Supreme Court voted to ban abortions. Immediately after this, state governments rushed to say that they would make abortions illegal. Government officials proposed making the abortion ban national. And some states proposed making contraceptives illegal. My point here is not to consider the ethics or morality of the people trying to ban abortions. But just as an example, think about all the quantified self-devices. Think about all that personal, private data that is being harvested by corporations and governments. Then think about all those government officials who want to make health and medical decisions, like abortion, for you. Some women are actually now afraid of using, for example, period tracking apps because governments can use that data to track women who become pregnant, meaning with the criminalization of abortion that data can be used to specifically monitor and track women who might be considering and abortion. So while the topic of abortion is important, the larger point of this example, for today's podcast episode at least, is that we as a society are desperately in need of ethical and moral guidance for developing and using technologies, whether that's quantified self-tech, surveillance tech, robots, or nanotechnology. And that's where today's book, Technology and the Virtues, a Philosophical Guide to a Future Worth Wanting, comes in. In today's episode, we'll work through that book to talk about a framework we can use to help us not just deal with technology, but also live a good life in a technology-saturated world. Okay, let's dive in. The author of today's book is Shannon Valor who is Professor of Philosophy in the Bailey Gifford Chair in the Ethics of Data and Artificial Intelligence at the University of Edinburgh's Edinburgh Futures Institute. And she has a PhD in philosophy from Boston College. 
Shannon currently focuses on exploring how emerging technologies, such as those involving automation and artificial intelligence, impact and shape our moral and intellectual habits, skills, and virtues. In other words, how these technologies affect our character. Her book, Technology and the Virtues, A Philosophical Guide to a Future Worth Wanting, provides exactly what it says in the title. And I really wanted to do a deep dive on this book because I feel that's kind of where we are in today's technology-infused society. We have engineering cultures where they crank out new surveillance technologies or new artificial intelligence technologies or new blockchain technologies or technologies that increase the adverse effects of global warming or you name it, without having to think about the ethical, moral, or other concerns related to due diligence of those technologies. In other words, our engineering and business cultures too often don't ask whether or not this new technology should be created. And on the consumer and user side of these technologies, how should we think about the technologies we use in our lives? How can they help us lead a better life? It is these sorts of concerns and questions that Valor tackles in her book. Overall, the book is structured into three parts. Part one is Foundations for a Technomoral Virtue Ethic. Part two is Cultivating the Technomoral Self, Classical Virtue Traditions as a Contemporary Guide. And part three is Meeting the Future with Technomoral Wisdom, or How to Live Well with Emerging Technologies. And introduction and epilogue bookend those three parts. So let's discuss those parts in more detail. Part one proposes the basis for Valor's solution for how we should think about and live with technology. And she works through some of those challenges. This basis is a tradition for living the good life called virtue ethics. Now, what does Valor mean by virtue ethics? Well, as Aristotle developed in his book, Nicomachean Ethics, essentially virtue ethics refers to a philosophical framework for how we can cultivate characteristics, behaviors, and thoughts in ourselves so that we can make moral decisions at the right times, with reference to the right objects, towards the right people, with the right aim, and in the right way. An important point that Valor develops throughout the book is that this concept of virtue ethics does not only come from Aristotle. A number of cultures around the world and throughout history have created similar frameworks for developing one moral and ethical character. In fact, in Valor's book, she uses not only Aristotle's framework for ethics, but also ideas from the traditions of Confucianism and Buddhism which have complementary virtue ethics frameworks as with Aristotle's. In today's podcast, I'm just going to focus on what Valor says about Aristotle, but I do like her inclusion of Confucianism and Buddhism because it adds breadth to her argument and also helps give more of a foundation for the technomoral framework she develops after working through Aristotle, Confucius, and Buddhism. That these traditions from different times, countries, and cultures share similarities suggests that maybe there is something to this concept of how to be a virtuous person and how to live a good life. 
but it's this techno-moral framework we really want to get to. So here's the basic idea of Aristotle's virtue ethics. First, there are multiple virtues, not just one. I think because of the predominance of Christianity today, which was developed in part on elements of Aristotle's ethics, we tend to think of an upstanding person who lives the good life as a virtuous person, a person with virtue, as in there's just one virtue. You either have it or you don't. But originally, Aristotle developed the importance of multiple virtuous character traits. As Valor says, moral virtues are understood by Aristotle to be states of a person's character. Stable dispositions such as honesty, courage, moderation, and patience that promote their possessor's reliable performance or right or excellent actions. So that's the first point about Aristotle's virtue ethics. A second point is that in order to make the right decisions in our life, we must, of course, think rationally. But we must also align our rational thought with our feelings, beliefs, desires, and perceptions. As Valor says, the virtuous person not only tends to think and act rightly, but also to feel and want rightly. And a third point is that virtue ethics are based on developing one's character, not in following sets of rules. In other words, through practice, we can develop character traits, such as honesty, courage, and patience, that gives us wisdom and ability to choose and act honestly or courageously or with patience when confronted by some problem or situation in life. As Valor says, practical wisdom is the kind of excellence we find in moral experts, persons whose moral lives are guided by appropriate feeling and intelligence, rather than mindless habit or rote compulsion to follow fixed moral scripts provided by religious, political, or cultural institutions. Thus, rather than having to follow a set of rules, such as never do X or When in situation Y, always do Z. Virtue ethics flips the rule following a script to be when in situation X, based on my experience and wisdom, I am choosing to do Y. I could go on, but there's a lot more to Aristotle's virtue ethics than I can summarize in just three points. But hopefully you get the gist that living a good life depends on us building our character so that we perform right actions at the right time. And again, I want to mention that this ethical foundation is reinforced by other systems of thought, such as Confucianism and Buddhism. And in part two of the book, Valor details what she calls the practice of moral self-cultivation, the importance of developing a habitual pursuit and lifelong effort to improve one's personal virtues. But what does all this have to do with technology? Don't we have all we need with just using Aristotle's virtue ethics? Why do we need anything else today? Well, the classical systems of virtue ethics aren't quite sufficient today. As I've discussed in previous podcast episodes, artificial intelligence, for example, is a complex and powerful technology that is shaping the world around us and that is presenting situations and problems altogether different than simpler technologies of the past. With AI, we are designing and sending out into the world systems that 
not only can sense and collect data from the world around them, but those systems also have agency to make decisions based on that sense data to affect, in turn, the world around them. Technology has gone from just a tool, like a hammer, to one that must make ethical decisions itself, such as whether in a self-driving car, the car must make a decision to avoid a stopped vehicle in the road by swerving into oncoming traffic or just ram into the back of the stopped vehicle. And we are trusting the corporations who are making these self-driving cars to program it correctly, ethically, do the right thing. And this corporation that makes these self-driving cars, maybe they're similar to the same corporation that has used artificial intelligence to defeat and cheat on federal emissions tests, such as Volkswagen. So what is problematic about emerging technologies like artificial intelligence and with technologies Valor identifies, such as nanotech, biotech, information technology, and cognitive science, is that how we should use such technologies and even whether or how such technologies should be designed is that these technologies preclude simple rule-based ethics. It's a complex ethical world we're living in. And these technologies must live and operate in that world too. These emerging technologies require us to develop character-based virtues to make the best decisions given the unique circumstances these technologies generate. Moreover, we don't need to make ethical decisions that affect just an individual. Surveillance and judicial sentencing systems, for example, affect groups and classes of people. And as we've seen previously in this podcast, complex technologies often have unintended consequences. As Valor says, emerging technologies, one, present new problems of collective moral action. Two, are likely to impact future persons, groups, and systems as much or more so than present stakeholders. And three, have unpredictable consequences that unfold on an open-ended time horizon. Emerging technologies then require us to build on top of Aristotle's virtue ethics foundation to create a framework that can help guide us in today's technology-infused world. We need what Valor calls a Technosocial virtue ethic. Based on her analysis of the classical virtue traditions, especially that of Aristotle, Confucius, and Buddhism, Valor identified seven common elements of a practice of moral self cultivation for what she calls a technomoral virtue ethic of global scope. It would probably be too much to work through all seven of these in one podcast episode. So, Maybe I'll pick the first three to discuss here, and if you're interested, you can pick up a copy of Valor's book to catch the rest. So the first element of a practice of moral self-cultivation that Valor has identified based on her, on her analysis of the classical virtue ethics traditions is moral habituation. So what does she mean by that? Well, let's look at the second word, habituation. Valor works through the meaning of habituation based on the Greek origin in the word hexis and the related ethos. But essentially, we must approach and work to improve our skill at and understanding of the seven elements of moral self-cultivation mindfully. 
so that they become positive patterns of activity that we intentionally choose to do. In other words, we must not just read about following the virtues, we must actually do the following in real life. Valor says, Aristotle is clear that we first become moral not by studying moral philosophy or listening to moral arguments, but by repeatedly doing moral things until they become habitual. Now, she did not say this, but it seems to me that if one were to try to get better at something, one must actually practice the skill one is trying to improve. Thus, the first element, the foundation of moral self-cultivation is moral habituation, whereby she means actually, mindfully, and proactively working to improve one's moral virtues. We have to instill this habit within ourselves first. Now, Valor lists in her book a high-level agenda for developing a practice of moral self-cultivation, making this a habit. It's beyond the scope of her book, of course, but the next question I have then is, where is the practical agenda for translating her suggestions into actual actions and practices that we can incorporate into our daily lives? That's what I would like to see next. Hopefully she will write that, otherwise I'll be compelled to maybe write it myself because I'm really interested in seeing a practical moral practice. Okay, but for now, that was moral habituation. And let's move on to the second element of a practice of moral self-cultivation, which Valor calls relational understanding. Once we have realized the importance of developing a habit of moral self-cultivation, we've instilled it. How should we think about implementing that habit in the real world? The basic idea behind relational understanding is that we must first realize that human beings are relational beings. We are not completely independent entities in the universe. We have families, we have friends, co-workers, we pass people on the street, we say hi to our neighbors, we depend on others to provide goods and services. This is an important contrast to some other systems of ethics, such as Kant's or utilitarianism, where they hold the individual to be completely autonomous. So with relational understanding, we actually are not completely free to make decisions independent of our relationships to other people. We each have certain roles and responsibilities in society that guide and constrain our choices and decisions. As Valor says, the cultivated person always acts from within her own unique context of important relations, roles, and responsibilities, while seeking perpetually more refined understandings of these relations and the moral obligations and ideals to which they give rise. Relational understanding, then, is critical for developing the virtues of justice and friendship, for example. Thus, the technomoral implication is that one of the self-cultivation habits we must actively develop and work on is improving and understanding the bounds, relations, and obligations we have with others in society, which will improve, for example, our virtues of empathy, friendship, and justice. This will help us be able to react in the right way when we encounter situations requiring moral wisdom in the real world. Okay, so for the third element of a practice of moral self-cultivation, we have what Valor calls reflective self-examination. You've probably heard the famous quote from Socrates that the unexamined life is not worth living. 
Thus, another habit we need to cultivate is one of critical self-evaluation. In other words, how do we actually learn to make improvements in how we act and what moral decisions we make? Reflective self-examination means we must learn and practice the skill of assessing, evaluating, and being critical of our own actions as a way of moderating and improving our future actions. This is one way we can cultivate the virtues of humility and honesty. Can we critique our own weaknesses, learn from our mistakes, and do better going forwards? As Valor says, this habit must evolve into a lifelong practice that aims to discern how well one's actions, feelings, thoughts, and beliefs conform with the moral self to which one aspires. And especially considering the second element we discussed, relational understanding. Our reflective self-examination critiques must also consider our collective mistakes we are making today together so that our future actions will be better not only for ourselves individually, but as a society as well. Okay, so those are three elements of a practice of moral self-cultivation. Moral habituation, relational understanding, and reflective self-examination. I won't work through them in today's episode, but the book also details four more. Intentional self-direction of moral development, perceptual attention to moral salience, prudential judgment, and appropriate extension of moral concern. In total, this framework gives us a path forward for developing our technomoral wisdom, which can help us live a good life in a technologically saturated world. Now, by following this framework, this is how we get to become a virtuous person, how to live a good life. But we've not yet explicitly defined what being a virtuous person means. In other words, I've mentioned desirable virtues, such as justice, friendship, and empathy, but so far we've just mentioned bits and pieces. So for making the what we are aiming for more clear, Valor provides a taxonomy of technomoral virtues. Again, because of the complexity, power, and potential global impact of emerging technologies, such as AI, nanotechnology, biotechnology, information technology, and cognitive science, we need to better understand what virtues are especially suited for helping us thrive in our networked global society, increasingly filled with technologies that have unintended consequences. Towards this, Valor lists 12 technomoral virtues. 1. Honesty. 2. Self-control. 3. Humility. 4. Justice. 5. Courage. 6. Empathy. 7. Care. 8. Civility. 9. Flexibility. 10. Perspective. 11. Magnanimity. And 12. Technomoral wisdom. Now again, because we're starting to run long in the episode, I, I won't go through each of those. But again, please get a copy of Valor's book and, and work through them. In the book, Valor works through each of these virtues, emphasizing how each is important in helping us lead a good life in today's technological world. I will also point out, though, that in addition to all that we've worked through so far today, and again, with a reminder that I did not include lengthy discussions of Confucianism and Buddhism, Valor also includes in her book, in part three, 
four case studies where she looks specifically at how these technomoral virtues that she's developed, these 12, can help us respond to and live a better life with emerging technologies. In specific, she has a chapter each on how we can cope technomorally with social media, surveillance technologies, robots, and transhumanism. Each of these specific technologies present serious challenges to our ability to thrive together now and in the future. And I really wish I had more time to go into each of them, as well as to show how the technomoral virtues Ballard developed can help us deal with those challenges and lead a good life. The overall point of this analysis, though, and the point of the book itself, is that despite claims of the tech bros in Silicon Valley, technology by itself won't save us. Valor says, only with the broader and more intensive social cultivation of technomoral virtues, such as wisdom, courage, and perspective, can this aim be accomplished. We need not only technical code to run our software and systems, sure, but also technomoral code to help the humans better run themselves, individually and together as a society. Valor ends her book on a hopeful note by recalling the show Star Trek, originally created by Gene Roddenberry. Valor says that the real achievement of the future of humanity and civilization in the Star Trek universe is not the engineering creation of warp drives and transporters. It's that, as Valor says, humans cultivated the technomoral virtues needed to make humanity worthy of its greatest technoscientific aspirations. Such a future has not been promised to us, but it is the only future worth wanting. And on that note of a future worth wanting, that's a good place to wrap up episode 26. I hope you've enjoyed this deep dive into this discussion of technomoral virtues. Note that this episode was the second in our spring series of deep dives. You can see the complete list over on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Kendall Giles. But in any case, thanks for listening. And until next time, I'll see you in the Techno Slipstream. <laughs>